following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, and chapter 14, verse 32. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. I want to welcome you to Sacred City Church. My name is Alex Arguella. I want to the pastor's here, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I hope you guys are excited too, because do you guys know what this morning actually brings? In addition to being my son Tatum's 15th birthday, so if you see him, wish him a happy birthday. What it also brings is the last sermon in this series on wisdom, which means that if you have been here through all eight after this morning, you'll be perfectly wise. <laughs> is that how that works? Probably not, but if you are a guest with us this morning and have no idea what I'm talking about there, we do come to the end of our series here on wisdom. What we've been doing for the past couple months is preaching through the book of Proverbs to see what it says about wisdom. We've been looking at, for the past few weeks, these character profiles, which is just a literary technique that the book of Proverbs uses to show, kind of characterize these different people within Proverbs, and what we're, these pro- character profiles are meant to do for us is kind of be a mirror for us. We're we're meant to look at these and be able to see if anything is on our face. And if it is, that should be convicting for us. We should want to get it off of our face, and that should lead us to repentance. Well, the last of these character profiles that we need to look at is the wicked person. How we're going to do that is pretty simple, but I can't promise that it's not going to get a little uncomfortable in here this morning. we got to talk about some serious stuff this morning. Not that we don't always talk about serious stuff, we're always talking about God's word here, but much of our topic today is not the most enjoyable to talk about, so unfortunately many Christians, because of that, tend to work hard to not ever look at this type of stuff, but we don't have the luxury of doing that as Christians, and I as a preacher of God's word don't have the luxury to do that either, so we want to stay faithful to actually preaching God's word, no matter how difficult it may be. So, we're going to do this by talking about three things. Again, keep it simple. The first is going to be, how does the Bible describe a wicked person? How does it describe wickedness? Who's wicked? What are they like? Second thing we're going to look at is, how does the God of the Bible treat the wicked person? How does he respond to their wickedness? And number three, of course, how does the Christ of the Bible save the wicked person? So that's where we're going. If you will please pray with me, then we will get started. Father, it is you that we want to hear from this morning, not from me. So would you anoint the words that I have that I believe are from you? Would you highlight the things that are? Would you get rid of the things that aren't? Would you anoint the people's ears so that they can hear from you as well, Lord? That's what we want. We want to hear from you so that we can worship you, we can honor you, we can glorify you, and we can go and live the way that you want us to live after today. So be with us this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so how does the Bible, actually specifically the book of Proverbs, describe wickedness or the wicked person? I want to look at our first text to begin with that. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. So if you have a Bible, please open it. If you do not, there should be some Bibles in the pews. Your phone's probably not going to work this morning because I'm going to be jumping into a lot of scriptures and that will be a lot of doing that type of stuff. So grab a Bible if you have it. It should be on the screen as well. Chapter 6, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. So first, the description. It says a worthless person or naughty person, meaning they are willfully disobedient. They know what they're doing when they choose to be wicked. Think about the little child at the daycare that continues to go against what the adults have asked and told them not to do, but instead of listening and refraining from that behavior, they move forward with that behavior, but not without first looking at the adult to make sure that they're being watched in their disobedience. This would also be Pastor Justin in his younger years when he would put bombs in mailboxes to watch them blow up. You guys remember him talking about that? What he didn't mention is by younger years, he meant in his 30s, <laughs> which was before this past 10 years of growing in wisdom that he's had, right? I probably shouldn't say that. That, that wasn't the case. This is when he was probably 12 or 13, maybe. But those are great descriptions of naughty. But the word here is even stronger. One of the commentators that I read, a good translation, he said, was for this worthless person would be a son of Belial. This term is frequently used in the Old Testament to describe someone who loves evil, even worships evil. So unlike the little child who's trying to test how much they can get away with with their disobedience, these people do evil because they actually love and worship evil itself. Son of Belial is only used one time in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, and he uses it to describe Satan. So, so far, we have someone who loves evil, who is Satan-like, we might say, and now what do they do? It says they go about with crooked speech. They habitually lie, gossip, slander, tear down, hurt others with their tongues. They also use nonverbal tools, winking of eyes, signals with feet, points with fingers. These are all motions of the body that represent this person having a rebellious attitude who is trying to quietly scheme more and more evil into this world. This person's whole mission is, in life is to bring evil. As it says there in verse 14, this is what is in their heart. They never stop sowing discord, or strife, conflict, hostility. That's the first part of a wicked person. So far, great guy. To continue this bleak description, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, Who meaning the wicked are those who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. They not only continually do evil, speaking it, acting on it, but they actually hate the opposite of evil, which would be uprightness or justice. It says they rejoice in the evil actions they take and delight in them, even though they know they are wrong and don't meet God's standard. 
I can keep going. One more, and I think we can get the picture. Chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. These people have an impact. Their wickedness isn't happening in a vacuum. It spreads and has an impact on their surroundings, on the community or society, and can bring that society or a city, as it says here, to ruin. So there it is. That's how the book of Proverbs describes a wicked person. Now, like our brother David said last week, these characterizations are very extreme examples being laid out. And because they are extreme examples and because most of us tend to think too highly of ourselves, it's actually pretty difficult to see any of these types of foolishness in our own lives. Well, I think the wicked character, if we truly understand the depth of their wickedness, is probably the most difficult to see in ourselves. And it's probably even pretty difficult to see in others. I know I don't know anyone personally who outwardly meets this entire description. We may think about the people that go into schools or churches or the man that just went down in El Paso, in El Paso into a supermarket and started murdering people. Of course, ISIS and other groups like that come to mind, but we have to be careful with this. Remember, we are studying this so that we can grow in wisdom, and I know we want that, but if these crazy people are the only ones that we're thinking about when we read of the wicked person in Proverbs, I think we're going to miss what God wants, to see in his, wants us to see in his word. What do I mean? Well, first let me say that we want to stay true to the book of Proverbs. Here, meaning we don't want to misread it and make it say something that it's not. When Solomon is discussing the wicked person and contrasting them with the righteous person, what he is doing, based on his experiences in life and his own reading of God's word, primarily the Torah, is he's laying out what he knows about a wicked person and what he knows about a righteous person. This means that the righteous person that he speaks of also had to exist. I say this because we are a church who theologically see it as important to emphasize the holiness and perfection of God and his work in our salvation, as well as emphasize the sinfulness of the human heart. So some of us could very easily see wicked here in Proverbs and think us, and then read righteousness and think who? Jesus. Now that wouldn't be completely wrong here, but if that's the only way we see it, I think we would be misreading the text, which we don't want to do. Solomon wrote this before Jesus came to earth. His father David also wrote about righteous people who lived before Jesus' earthly time. So although we will get to Jesus and explain true righteousness this morning, I want to make sure that we're remembering that in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is laying out two paths that we can go down in life. One that includes wickedness in this case, and that leads to destruction, and the other that includes righteousness in this case, which leads to wisdom and joy. One of the things that we can receive from Solomon is that this, with this character of the wicked person, he's highlighting that part of wisdom is moral and ethical in nature. He has said, don't, have, don't be lazy, work hard. Don't be a scoffer, have courage. Don't be simple, have prudence. Don't be a fool, have temperance. Well, here he's saying, don't be wicked, be just, be righteous. 
Don't be like the wicked person with no morals. Be like the righteous person who has morals. He's telling his son, if he wants to be wise and enjoy life, then he should be obeying the law of God. That's great advice. Advice that we all should take. But now having said that, I can actually get to what I mean about missing what I believe God wants us to get here, especially if we're finding difficulty in seeing wickedness in ourselves. Although described here as one living wickedly and the other living justly, we have to understand that for human beings born after the fall of humanity, righteous living is extremely difficult because righteousness is not where we start. Meaning we weren't born righteous, which would make wickedness some rare occurrence that only happens when we occasionally lose our minds. People who believe that would be the ones that say, after doing something evil and sinful to another, so someone else, they say, oh, I didn't mean that. That's not who I really am. I don't know what got into me. Bad theology. Pro tip, we should not be saying that if we are Christians. Let's take it further. Righteousness is not where we start, but neutrality is also not where we start, where we have this 50-50 chance of being either righteous or wicked, or maybe if our parents read enough parenting books and sent us to the good schools, chances go up to 80-20. People who believe this are very good at judging other people that haven't gotten their act completely together. They say things like this. People are idiots out there, aren't they? Didn't their parents ever teach them anything? Also, bad theology. It's bad because what the Bible actually teaches, and this has been said many times throughout this series, is wickedness is where we start. That is what's in us from the jump. But just for way of reminder, let me show us through Scripture again today because, again, even if we hear this frequently, If we are honest with ourselves, it's still hard for us to accept, but let's let the Bible inform us instead of anything else. King Solomon, in another book that he authored, Ecclesiastes, says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What we can take from this verse is there is not a person on earth who doesn't have wickedness inside them. If we look all the way back to the beginning of our history, we see in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Occasionally? Continually. And lastly, if you are thinking that this wickedness that is in human beings was only in the Old Testament people, probably the most well-known verse on wickedness of human beings is shown in Romans chapter 3. In this chapter of Paul's letter, he's coming to the end of his argument for what's known theologically as human depravity. It's up there. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. 
All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul, in this passage, quotes from a few different Psalms as well as Isaiah and wants to show his readers that all humans are under sin. This phrase means that all humans are wicked at their core. That sin is their master. They are slaves to it. Other places in the Bible were called children of wrath. Other places were called enemies of God. That's what it says. Now, some of us may need to do some work here, especially if you're hearing this for the first time. We may have to think and pray through this truth until God takes this truth and penetrates our hearts with it. We, as human beings, are not righteous in any way. We are not neutral in any way. Left to ourselves, we hate God and love evil. We are very much like the person being described in Proverbs. Now, I'm sure there are some objections here with this because it doesn't seem to be lining up with our everyday lives, with our experiences in lives, I'm sure. So much of, we see so much good happening in this world, don't we? We could also look at all the evil that's actually happening in this world. But let me say this, what the Bible is teaching with this doesn't mean that human beings always have evil behavior, like our lives are some big Wild Wild West film. That clearly isn't the case. Some of you guys are extremely nice people. Open doors for people, watch your neighbor's pets, volunteer at soup kitchens. Some non-Christians I know are some of the nicest and goodest people that I've ever met. They do all of that stuff too, but that fact doesn't disprove what the Bible says about the human heart. It doesn't show anything different about the human heart actually, but rather what that fact shows Listen, because this is important. What it shows is that God, in his common grace, is every second of the day restraining the evil that would manifest in this world and in our hearts had he lifted his restraints. We're nice because of the grace of God. We're generous because of the grace of God. We help people and do good in this world because of the grace of God. So let's let that sit for a little bit. This means that we can't hear this description of the wicked person and dismiss it as a description of only the heathens of this world. We have to see it as describing the human heart and unless any of us in this room are non-humans, we are included in the wicked category. Wickedness is not just doing bad things. Wickedness is part of our nature, and it's a nature that all human beings have. So when we look at God using Solomon's words here to compare and contrast the wicked person with the righteous person, yes, we should look at the wicked person and have a standard for what not to be like. We should look at the righteous person and have a standard for what to be like. But most importantly, reading it in the context of the message of the whole Bible, we should see these two paths and know that we as fallen human beings are not placed on this righteous path in the beginning and all we have to do is figure out how to stay on it. We are also not placed at this fork 
in the road. And all we have to do is say, oh, well, this path looks much better. I think I'll choose this one. No, both of those would lead to absolute destruction. Here's what we have to see. Because of the fall of Adam, we as human beings not only start on this path of foolishness, which includes wickedness, but our flesh, our nature's desire to stay on that path. On top of that, we have a world that loves this path and wants us to stay on this path with them. On top of that, we have an enemy who also loves this path and tempts us to stay on this path every single day. Can we see the seriousness of this? Do you think we can take this lightly? Yeah, yeah, I'm wicked. I'm a sinner. Heard that one before. We can't do that. I pray none of us have those thoughts. We have to see how real this actually is because if we don't, we will be blind to the path that we are actually traveling down. So can we admit this? Even though we don't, we don't not look exactly like this wicked guy in the Proverbs that Proverbs is describing, can we believe what the Bible teaches about wickedness? Can we believe that it's actually in our hearts? Can we look in the mirror and see what's on our face? I hope we can take some time to do this on our own, or better yet, better yet, with a brother or sister who can lovingly help us see how our wickedness comes out. But let me try to help us out some today. How are we treating people at our workplace? Man, are we cutthroat like most people in corporate America? We had a brother in our MC share how at work he seems to struggle to show grace to his coworkers. He has this standard of how well a job should be done, and when people don't meet his standard, all he can think about is how much more work that's going to bring to him. Therefore, he curses them on the inside. He has been able to refrain from actually telling these people what he thinks of them, but in his heart and in his head, he destroys these people, wishing they would be fired. Wickedness. How are we treating people at home? In past MCs, I've heard parents with young kids confess how much their kids have become a burden to them, where they can't see them as a blessing from the Lord, but only as added stress in their life that keeps them from doing what they actually really want to do, which should be something productive or something pleasurable. This may lead to more wicked things like screaming at their children out of impatience or punishing them out of anger and resentment. Wickedness. How are we doing at living in community? I know I've had plenty of times throughout my past seven years of MC life where I don't want anything to do with community. I don't want to go to the gathering. I don't want to get together with them outside of formal gatherings. I don't, want to, I don't have a desire to pray for them and check in with them to see how they're doing. I would rather worry about myself, my own interests, my own problems, instead of worrying about the stuff of other people. Again, wickedness. This is not what God has called us to be. All of these examples, and again, I hope you can see your own example if I have not hit on it, but all of them are forms of wickedness, and they are wicked because they are not righteous. Yeah, we may not be murdering someone, lying or cheating or committing adultery, all things we know and would admit are clearly wicked, but they are for sure not what God has called us to do. They aren't thoughts and actions that are coming from a place of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
my prayer is that we can see these things and admit these things, that we can admit that wickedness is still in us because if we can, then we can move forward on the path of wisdom because what is required for change, what is required to grow in wisdom is repentance. Turning from our wickedness never happens if we can't first admit that it's there. And if this is the case, then change doesn't happen either. And listen, if change, which happens as the Bible tells us, from one degree of glory to the next for the Christian, which sometimes means small and slow change, but if this isn't happening for the one who professes Christianity, do you know what that means? It means that we don't actually believe the gospel. The gospel changes people. It's the power of God for salvation, Paul says. I think a common occurrence for some who say they believe the gospel, one is they acknowledge their wickedness, feel guilty for their wickedness, but then neglect the changing part. They neglect the turning part, which is what repentance means. Turning from our sin and turning to Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Some of us need to do that for the first time, and I pray that that happens this morning, but all of us need to be doing this for the rest of our lives, constantly going back to seeing and confessing our wickedness and then turning to the gospel because the wickedness that's in us either gets paid for through the gospel or there's another option, which brings us to our second point. With our second point, we want to look at how the God of the Bible treats the wicked person. For this, we'll go back to the first passage that we read, continuing in verse 14. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. The consequences for the wicked person is calamity. Calamity is a pretty new word for me. My eight-year-old actually taught it to me a few months ago as he learned about it in the second grade. Shows my vocab skills. But it's a word that speaks of destruction, disaster. Great disaster, actually. Disaster that happens, as it says here, very suddenly. If that wasn't bad enough for the wicked person, this sudden disaster comes upon them and it will break them break them severely to the point where it's beyond repair. No restoration possible. Clearly, according to Proverbs, it does not go well for the wicked. So why would this be the case? Why would God treat a wicked person like this? Well, we can look at many different Proverbs to get the answer. Chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 15, verse 29. All of these tell us that God hates evil. He hates the way of evil people. But if we look outside the book of Proverbs and look at the book of Psalms, we see in Psalm 11, verse 5, that the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. God doesn't just hate evil. He doesn't just hate evil people's thoughts and actions. The Bible says he hates evil people. Some of us just got uncomfortable including me. How could the Bible say this? I thought God was love. I thought God loves everyone. I thought love wins. 
Can you imagine in our day and age where everyone wants to be all about acceptance and love and peace? How do you think this truth goes over? Many can't accept it. They can't believe in a God like this, they say. Many professing Christians can't accept it, and they can't believe in a God like this. So they use whiteout on these types of texts, or just make sure to never read them or think about them. We don't want to do that, so let's think about it. The primary word that Proverbs uses to contrast wickedness or evil is righteousness or justice, meaning they are opposites and antagonistic to each other. Those of us that have been through story-formed way curriculum and MC, what does it say about God? He's the only one that is good, right, and perfect. He is righteousness. He's perfectly good and perfectly just. For one who is perfectly good and perfectly just, would it make any sense for that person to have any love for evil, for evil thoughts and deeds, or even evil people? No. They would cease to be good, right, and perfect if that was the case. Other Proverbs say wicked people are an abomination to God. To be an abomination to the Lord means that one is disgusting to him. They're filth. He wants nothing to do with them. This is why not only are there earthly consequences for the wicked, like we've seen for the wicked, like we've seen in their sudden calamity, other places say they'll starve, they will lose their land and wealth, even their physical life will be cut short. But even if that is not the case, any prosperity they have is short term. Eventually it all comes to an end because there are eternal consequences for their wickedness. Chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked. This is saying don't get angry because wicked people sometimes prosper while you may be suffering. And don't desire any gain that their wickedness has brought them. Why not? For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Their lamp, their light, any sort of light or prosperity they may have in this life will end. And beyond that, they have no eternal future prosperity. Their eternal future is only suffering. Hell. Another interesting topic in Christian theology. Is it real? Is it not? Again, what does the Bible say? It says, yes. It is very real. Just a couple scriptures. Mark 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell where the fire never goes out. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 9, they, being those who do not know God and obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That's hell. It's real. It's terrible. This is something we have to deal with, something we can't ignore. Why is this important? Plenty of reasons for the Christian, but I want us to think missionally here. Can you imagine what this would do to us if we really believed this truth? If we really believed that a wicked person wasn't just the Hitlers of the world, but it was all human beings, and because of this, they were going to spend eternity in hell, and that the only thing that was going to keep them from spending eternity in hell was not them being our friend, not them coming to church with us, 
not them even being part of a missional community. These are all important and can be used, but the only thing that can truly do that is the grace of God. Do you think we might be on our knees crying out to God for their salvation more than we are? If we truly believe this, I think that we would. I know I don't believe this most of the time, or at least it's not on my radar. That stinks. I hate that about myself. Much of the time, I'm a functional believer in cheap grace, thinking that because God saved me by his grace, I don't need to live for him after that. I can continue going on with my life, living however I want, like I'm the Lord. Continue to fill my life with busyness and meaningless things like watching sports or Netflix or spending five to eight hours on my phone according to the new screen time app. I try to create my own purpose in life instead of being about God's purpose for me, which is his mission. Why? Because I become blind to the seriousness of his mission. A few things I want us to see from this text. Number one, I think when Solomon is describing to his sons what happens to the wicked in this life and the next, his desire is to warn his sons with the hopes that that warning will cause the sons to choose the path of righteousness. Number two, I think what God wants us to see is really what happens to wicked people. We need to know about hell. We need to believe what the Bible says about hell so that, yes, we can see that and also, by his grace, want to choose the path of righteousness. But in addition to that, we would also shout this from the rooftop so that not just us as wicked people would know this, but all wicked people would know this and turn from their wicked ways and turn to Christ. But lastly, I think what the Christian should see here is if we are not doing that, if we are not believing this truth and out of that belief telling others about it, that's wicked. It shows our wickedness. It shows our lack of desire for God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We may not be shooting schools up. We may not be robbing banks or stealing identities. We may not even be flipping the bird when people cut us off in traffic. But if we look at these people and think, ugh, I can't believe how terrible they are. Instead of at the very least praying that God's grace would fill their hearts, that's wicked. It's wicked because the only reason me or you are not doing those exact same things is the grace of God. So we should know that that is what they need and desire for them to have it. If we look at this world and know that there are billions of people who are blind to this truth, there are, peoples in our, there are people in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces that don't know this truth and we don't pray for them and share with them what we know, then we are being wicked. We are choosing the path of foolishness and need to repent. God told us to pray that his will would be done on earth. He also told us to go and make disciples of all nations if this is not what we are doing. If we are only concerned about our work or school or our health or whatever it may be and not doing this, receive this this morning and repent and believe the gospel and then go and share that gospel. Which brings us to our last point. 
Let's talk about that gospel. Let's look at the hope for the wicked person. How can the Christ of the Bible save wicked people? The future of the wicked person is hell. The current life of the wicked person is separation from God and his goodness and provision. So if we took many of the verses in Proverbs that we looked at this morning to show these truths in isolation, there would be no hope for a wicked person, which means that there's no hope for any of us or any of the people that we are on mission to. But thankfully, God's word isn't complete with a few verses from Proverbs about wickedness. To show this, let's look at the second passage that was read this morning. Chapter 14, verse 32. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Now, when we look at this verse, we see some parallels. We see that there's a wicked person and a righteous person. We see that one is overthrown or thrown down, and the other finds refuge. But then we see that this wicked person is overthrown by his evil doing. So what we would expect to see if these parallels continued is if this wicked person is overthrown by his evil doing, then the righteous man that is spoken of here would, be, would find refuge in his just doing. But that's not what we see. All we see is that when he dies, or some translators believe it's better translated, in his dying, he finds refuge. Even better, when we look at this in the original language here, this finds refuge phrase is really saying finds refuge in the Lord. So this is amazing. What this verse is saying, as we look at it in the context of the whole message of the book of Proverbs, and especially in the context of the whole message of the Bible, is yes, wicked people earn hell by their evil doing, by their wickedness. But one does not avoid hell in Avoid hell by doing evil or by doing good on their own, but by finding refuge in the Lord. To get a better understanding of this, let's go back to Romans 3. You know the passage that reminds us of how wicked we are. This time we'll start in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law. These would be wicked people. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or no human being will be made righteous in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or are made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There is a lot there, and I hope we can preach through Romans at some point in this church, but for now, 
Let's take this and try to bring everything together. Solomon in the book of Proverbs is striving to pass on wisdom to his sons. God in the book of Proverbs is wanting to pass on wisdom to his people. One of the primary ways Solomon tries to do this is by describing characters, certain types of fools, people who show us what to avoid in this life. Our character this morning was the wicked person, the person who not only does, does not do good or righteous things, but also hates them because he hates God. That's how he came into this world, and that's the path that he stays on. When we look at the Bible as a whole, we see that the wicked person described in Proverbs isn't the minority, but it's where all human beings start, and it's the path that all human beings continue down unless they are deemed righteous. If the wicked person, if you or me, are ever going to change ever going to go down a different path, ever stop hating God and hating his way so that we can be blessed by his love and provision now and not be overthrown and spend eternity in darkness away from him. It's not getting our act together so we can stop our evil doing and start our just doing that will do that. No human being will be justified by the works of the law. But if we want righteousness, if we want to spend eternity with him, there is a gift that has to be received. That's how we take refuge in the Lord. We can't become righteous on our own. We have to be declared righteous by the Lord and that only happens by receiving the gift of his grace. One more passage that I have to go to to close out. One that everyone at this church should memorize. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. Remember, this is the God of the universe speaking to you. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This text comes after many, many times of God's people, the Israelites, Showing the depth of their wickedness, the depth of their foolishness by turning over and over and over and over again from the God who loved them and rescued them. And, wanted, and they do this because they want to choose their own way and worship other gods. All of these people, just like us, deserve nothing but destruction and death because of their wickedness and because of our wickedness, but that's not what God's people receive. They had a gift coming. We have a gift that came, and his name is Jesus. And now if we have been united with him, that clean water has been sprinkled on us. Our uncleannesses have been cleansed. Our heart of stone, which kept us from choosing God and the path of wisdom has been removed and replaced with the heart of flesh that God can shape and mold into a heart that loves him and desires to follow him in doing good. He gives us his spirit, 
which gives us the desire and the power to fight the wickedness that's in us and fight to live like one of his children. Believe that this morning, Christian. Remember that your wickedness has been dealt with and you have been made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ and then go and live like it. And for those of you that have never believed that before, will you? Will you receive what the Bible says about your wickedness? As dark as it might be, will you receive what the Bible says about your wickedness? And then receive what it says about your hope. Please do. That gift is available for you this morning. We would love it to have you as one of our brothers and sisters. And God would love it to have you as one of your ch his children. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We thank you that your ways are better than our ways. Your thoughts are better than our thoughts, Lord, because I don't think that we would set it up the way that you have. I think we would probably grade on a curve we would want to take the good things that we've done and see if they've outweighed the bad things that we've done, and that's what we would hope would earn us eternal life, but that's not what you said. You said at the core, we are wicked, and we do wicked continually, and unless you restrain that wicked from continuing to happen in our lives and in this world, we will continue down that path, but you intervene. And for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, we don't get destruction. We don't get eternal punishment. So we thank you for that gift. We thank you for the gift of sending your Son. We thank you for applying that grace to our hearts, giving us the opportunity to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, now we want to believe that. We want that to penetrate our hearts and change us. We want to leave here different, Lord. We want to grow in wisdom. We want to grow in grace. We want to grow as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord. Whether that be receiving him for the first time this morning, that's growth. Whether that be receiving him for the millionth time this morning and responding in faith, turning from our sins, and turning back to Christ, Help us to do that this morning, Lord. Left to ourselves, we won't. Do that for us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.